0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to the Seattle Mariners Baseball Podcast. I meat stop singer! Toss on up the first in time to get seven! Three. Specialist, Fernando Abad, and the Mariners lead it 5-4. Goodbye baseball. Straight away, center field. to Owen Cruz go back to back. And the king, when the Mariners needed him the most, two hits over seven. Scoreless innings. Now, here's your host, Gary Hill.
1: All right, welcome back. Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Gary Hill here. Thanks for being back once again as... Mariners off day yesterday. They get back to work tonight. Big three-game series taking on the Angels as, man, the all-star break is right around the corner. The Mariners looking to snap a four-game losing streak. We'll take a quick look at the pitching matchups and get you ready for that series in a moment. Also coming up on the podcast, we're going to hear from Nick Vincent, who not so quietly anymore, I don't think. At least fans in Seattle realize how good he has been this year. He uh, really, really good, and we're going to hear from him in a moment. Also, I'm going to play one of my favorite pieces of audio. I usually do this once a year, so those of you that have been here for a while have heard this interview before, but we get new listeners all the time, so I'm sure there's a number of people that have never heard this, but I, I love to listen to this interview, and this is a pretty good time to do it with a couple off days this week is Dave Niehaus sitting down and chatting with Ted Williams. It's a long, just 20-minute conversation, and I think you'll enjoy it. I sure do. It's one of my favorite things that I play once a year, and today is, is that day. So that will come up in a few minutes. But there's a big series coming up for the Mariners starting tonight, uh, trying to wipe away that two games against the Phillies they'd like to forget. loser's now four in a row. 39 and 31 on the season, taking on an Angels team that just lost to the Dodgers last night, six to two final there to the Crosstown rivals. L.A. now 42 and 41 on the season. A surprise, considering that Mike Trout has been out for a while, but they've actually played better baseball without Trout than with him, if you can believe it. So they're a game above 500. It's been a, a couple of tough days for the division. Texas has lost two in a row. They've now slipped. Below 500, at 39 and 40. Uh, so, again, it's just a big jumble when you look at that portion of the American League. I mean, you still have the division leaders: Boston, Cleveland, Houston. You have the Yankees with the first wild card, and the Twins holding down the second. You have Tampa and the Angels a game back, Baltimore a game and a half, Texas, KC two, the Mariners two and a half. Toronto three and a half and Detroit five and a half. So again, just that cluster of team teams hanging right around. And any kind of winning streak just vaults you right back in a wild card spot or pretty close. So Mariners would like to get back to their winning ways starting tonight. They they flip the rotation. So Ariel Miranda will get the ball in the first game of the series. Parker Bridwell will get the start for the Angels. Does not have a lot of turns under his belt. 2 0 with a 295 ERA. The Angels acquired him in April from Baltimore. He hasn't pitched a ton, just four major league appearances, three starts this season, 21 and a third innings, 22 hits, six walks, 12 strikeouts. In his work, last time out against the Red Sox on the 25th, uh, pitched pretty well, six and two thirds, gave up a couple of home runs, a couple of solo home runs. Those the only two runs he allowed. Start before that against the Yankees, five innings pitched, a couple of earned runs on just two hits. He did walk five, so he skated in and out of trouble in that one. He's a righty. And that's who the Mariners will face in game one of the series. Angels have had their injury problems and in their rotation as well. They'll get no sympathy for the Mariners, that's for sure. But uh, Bridwell has been forced in the rotation for the Angels. Game two of the series. By the way, both uh, game one and game two, first pitches. Sam Gavilio will take the ball for the Mariners in game two. He was scheduled uh, Friday originally it's been flipped to Saturday. Three and two with a 3.38 ERA. Ricky Nolasco is scheduled to go. He's had an injury that he's trying to. Uh, he took a comebacker off the leg in his last start. So there are some questions about whether he will go on Saturday or not. But he's still the scheduled starter for Saturday. He has struggled this year. 4.86 ERA, three and nine record, a WHIP of 1.43. He's had some issues with the long ball, 23 long balls this year in 90 and two-thirds innings pitch. He's fanned 76, but he's walked uh, 27 in that stretch as well. So we'll see if the Mariners can break out the long ball against the in game two of the series. And the Angels, a long losing streak with the on the mound. It lost ten in a row in his starts before beating the Dodgers. His last time out, he went six and a third, didn't allow a run. Did face the Mariners earlier this year, couldn't get, uh, couldn't get through the fifth, four and a thirds, eight hits, four earned runs, a couple of home runs, a couple of walks, and six punchouts. So that's the game two matchup, and then on Sunday day baseball, and it's kind of weird. It's just a three game. Road series, not something you see very often, a weekend series. And then the Mariners right after return home for a homestand leading up to the All-Star break. They'll take on the Royals for three and the A's for four. And that's it. Then the All-Star break is here. So Sunday is going to be a 12:37 first pitch from Anaheim. James Paxson will take the ball against Jesse Chavez, who the Mariners have faced a number of times through the years. Five and eight with a 5.04 ERA. James Paxton a 3.44 ERA. So big series coming up, three game set against the Angels. Both teams certainly in contention. Hopefully you'll join us over the weekend for what will be a big series. Right now though, let's hear from Nick Vincent, who is just having a spectacular season. 1.71 ERA in 32 games this year. 31 and two-thirds innings pitched this year, 25 hits, one home run allowed, just six walks and 23 strikeouts. He has been marvelous, and he's been even better at home at Safeco Field. He has not allowed a run at home this year in 17 games, a 0.00 ERA, 16 and a third innings, just 10 hits, one walk and 18 strikeouts at Safeco Field this year. He has been rock-solid in the bullpen this year for the Mariners. And if you want to dive back even further, he gave up a run in his first outing of the year, two runs in his third outing of the year. So since then, April 11th, he has been scoreless in 28 of his 29 turns, 28 innings pitched, as an ERA of 0.96, opponents just batting 186 against him, five walks, and 22 strikeouts. Since April 11th, he has been absolutely dominant. I think it's been quiet uh, just in terms of attention he gets nationally, but I know Mariner fans realize how good he has been. It's just so, so impressive. And now, uh, Shannon Dreyer, a chance to catch up with uh, Nick Vincent.
2: I'm in a good spot right now. Just uh, as a reliever, you go out and you can put up a couple of innings, put up a zero, and it kind of builds that confidence. But uh, for me, it's just, I don't think it's anything out of normal. I've just been making better pitches in certain situations. I mean, I learned last year, don't just give in to a guy and throw a cutter down the middle and let him on a 2-0 pitch or a 3-0 pitch. Like, they're swinging. So for me, it's more this year, just kind of, if I get 2-0, just don't give in to a guy and I've walked a couple more guys this year than usual, but, I mean, it's I've had less damage done. Luckily, knock on wood, but uh, for me, it's go out there and throw strikes. My, my philosophy has never changed, just go out, attack, get ahead, and then try to finish him
3: Okay, so you just jumped to something that you talked about a couple of weeks ago, not giving in to a hitter. How does that kind of change? I mean, you're going to come in, usually it's a dangerous situation. How does it, how, explain kind of the difference between kind of pitching around a guy a little bit and not giving in to a guy?
2: Uh, I' not giving in like you, you get a 1 count 2-0 count and it's say there's a guy in second base and you don't want with to with first base open. you don't want to give that guy an opportunity to hit a single and score the run especially in games are tied or we're ahead by one or something. So it's more just kind of as you get older you learn how to pitch to guys in certain situations. you like learn how to manage the game for yourself and uh, you kind of just go with uh, whatever, which, whatever situation because you put the least amount of damage up on the board. So, if it's a, I mean, if it's a 3-4 hitter, I mean, I'm not going to give in to that guy. It's just make him hit your pitch, and if he doesn't, you got the next guy. And then, then, then you got to go – it's a different, uh, I mean, attack from there because there's a guy in first and second with a one-out. You can get a ground ball now and get out of the inning with no runs. So that's kind of as I get older in my career, it's more just kind of managing the game and kind of looking around, seeing what you got, and then going pitch by pitch. And then that's that's how I've gone, gone my whole career is just pitch by pitch, just kind of learn what the hitter does. And if you get old early, just don't give into them.
3: What's kind of giving you the freedom to do that, other than just getting a little older in your career?
2: <laughs> uh, it's just that's pretty much what all it is. I mean, young guys, you think go attack everybody and get everybody out, and then that's when you learn learn what you can do and what you can't do. Uh, it's for me. I've been in big situations pretty much the whole time I've come up, and I've in the beginning, I attacked, I attacked, I attacked, and that's when I'd give up a grand slam here and there, and it's like, all right, I mean, you got to know when you can go go in and when you get a two-o count where you can go with that pitch so it's just it's a uh, lineman's life. It's trial and error. You learn what you can do, learn what you can do and you kind of learn from your mistakes.
3: One of the things that's been great to see you from this year. We saw it a little bit last year as well but you're having success against lefties and changeup kind of plays into that. How are those two tied together and have you seen improvement with that pitch for you?
2: Uh, yeah the changeup helps me out a bunch. I mean I learned that started throwing it more in 2015 and that's kind of what's Helped me move on and through my career as a change up even to, even to righties. But uh, to lefties, it's just like I said, it's just going to their weaknesses. Kind of, I mean, how Belcheck attacks other teams is just you attack a certain hitter's weakness and you stick with that game plan. If you do it, you have to take your pitches, you're probably going to get them out. But it's when you try to think you can get a certain pitch or something, and then that's when they say, as a for it, he'll hit that pitch, and he usually does. So it's just making good pitches and like sticking to the game plan.
3: What role does a catcher play in that for you?
2: Uh, I mean, they've been watching the game for eight innings or seven innings before I have, so I usually trust what they're going to call. And for me, it's just execute the pitch. I don't really like to think about going different spots and here and there. I just I, I know that they've they've studied the hitters a bunch and they've already, like I said, they got seven innings behind the play. They know what this guy's done the first first AB, second AB. I'm usually in there for the third AB, so they know like what he struggled with. And they'll use that against them with my strengths. So for the most part, I just let them put down the fingers, and I try to execute the pitch.
3: One of your teammates called you the rock of the bullpen, and the bullpen obviously has had so many different names and faces and experience levels in there. What has it been like to this point with that?
2: Uh, I mean, it's we've had we've had a lot of guys. We'll say that with all the injuries and stuff early in the year. But uh, as a rock, I mean, I'll take it. But. It is what it is. I mean, I'm out there just trying to help out the young guys. I was, I've been in their spot. So that's a big, that was another thing for me this year is being a leader instead of the guys that's out there doing his job. So I try to help out the guys as much as possible because I want them to succeed as much as anything. Like, it's, it's games. It's a, short, it's a short game. So if they can learn a little something from me here and there, like, that would mean more to me than me going out and pitching every day. So
3: Who's helped you on, on kind of the coaching end or the advice end?
2: Uh, I mean I came up when it was Luke Gregerson and uh, Joe Thatcher over there at the race Houston street. Uh, I learned a lot from those guys. It's just stick to I mean the main thing for them was stick to your strengths. Don't try to be somebody else you aren't. And that's what I try to tell these guys is you hear all the scout reports all this like it's it's what you have. Like go out there and compete. That's what it comes down to is using your stuff to get guys out. So go out there compete. Like I said get ahead and finish guys.
3: Saw you earlier today, and you were catching Max Posey a little bit. What do you get out of that, and are you able to talk to him a little when you do
2: that? Uh, as a big boy, he he, <laughs> he comes he comes out of the sky, but uh, he's, he's just my new catch partner. My guy got sent down or something, so uh, just, for him, it just kind of go out there and do everything. Just if you if you try to do do the right things, and no one tells you what to do, then you're in a good spot. That's what I try to tell him. Is just. I said, if there's nobody shagging in left field, go over and shag in left field. If just carry the candy bag, make sure it's filled up. Just small things. So I, I it's just you don't want the older guys getting on you because you're in there playing pool and out late for stretch or something. So I just tell them, just be on time. I'd rather be five minutes early than one minute late. So be out early, be on time, and just do your thing.
3: He's a kind of an interesting case, though, too. I mean, he's up from AA. You all saw he's got stuff. We saw that in spring training. Start, but this is a new transition for him to the pen, too.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's something he's gonna have to learn. Just, I mean, it's kind of hard. He's got to learn in the big leagues, but he's got to learn it. But uh, for him, it's, I just in the beginning, he kind of stretched a little bit slower. So I told him, I like, hey, just stretch in the second and third. So then you know you're ready. You don't have to worry about that when they call down for your name. When they call down, it's get ready as fast as you can and not. <laughs> Lollygag while you're getting ready. So for him, it's uh, some learning, learning uh, opportunities out there in the pen. So it's just he's going to learn just in the big leagues, which is awesome for him.
3: Yeah, he learn a lot quicker, I would imagine.
2: <laughs> yeah, he'll learn. He'll learn a lot quicker in the big leagues and in the minor leagues. So uh, it's good for him. He came up from Double A, so that's awesome.
3: Are you guys still throwing the footballs out there?
2: Yeah, they are. I'm. I'm not doing the football things anymore. I just, I, I, I like to stick to just natural running, just do your own thing, and whatever you need to get it, get your work in.
3: All right, well, you're picking a football team, though. Who's, who, who are your wide receivers from your group?
2: Uh, wide receiver is going to be Posey. He's huge. Uh, Shrek's got some big old hands, and then uh, Miranda, because he runs like a deer.
3: <laughs> he's quite the athlete. We've seen that. He shows flashes out there.
2: <laughs> yeah, he's quick.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Lastly, uh Pazos just walked by. I noticed the mustache is gone. You guys talk him out of that?
2: No, he said he was going to cut it as soon as we lost. We lost the Astros, so he chopped it off. I think he should have kept it. He got a lot of wins in it. Who cares if we get one loss and see how many wins we get with it. He can always grow back.
3: A little impatient there. Nick, thank you.
2: No problem.
1: And now one of my favorites, Dave Niehaus, with one of the greatest who ever played, Ted Williams.
0: Ted, first of all, Tonight, the Mariners open a a series against the Baltimore Orioles, and uh, Cal Ripken is 95 games away from one of the greatest records that they said would never be broken. What is your perspective on on Ripken's streak?
4: Well, it's absolutely marvelous and sensational and tremendous. Uh, To play that many games without missing one, uh, I can't hardly conceive of it because I know that you can get a, a blister on the wrong part of your hand and you can't play or you get a little broken little part of your finger and you can't hold the bat. And um, just so many things. You get hit in the elbow and you can't play. And uh, he's a big, strong guy and, and is always in there, and he'll uh, is a great credit to this game.
0: Your rookie year, 1939, was the year that Gehrig's streak of twenty-one thirty ended. What yeah. do you remember about the Iron Horse?
4: Well, in spring training that year... Why, I had a, in the clubhouse, we had a little clubhouse in Sarasota, and I could hear, and I was right close to the trainer's room, and I could hear all the old writers coming in, you know, and say, Gary doesn't look good at all. Uh, you know, he uh, he he can't hit the ball, and he can't do this. And I said, well, what the hell, he's 38 years old, you know? He's, he's probably over the hill. And of course, in those days, uh, I think ballplayers did quit a little bit earlier, they got the incentive to play longer now if they're making 100000 or 200000 or $300,000 or, or a million. You know, that incentive to play is even more uh, more prevalent. And so, um, but anyway, uh, I saw Gehrig and I walked up the stairs up to the clubhouse following him because all the players went up to the Yankee side. Then they went over to their side of the dugout and... uh uh I remember following him. I never actually met Gehrig, but i was uh i watched him and looked at him and everything you know and uh uh well he if you compare his records with anybody mm-hmm. well he's right there, and there's no way you can't say. It.
0: Boy, what a player. Yeah. You know, another thing before I get into your career, that uh, it was I was just awestruck. I don't know if you remember last year we had a problem up here with the Kingdome when the tiles fell. And oh, yeah. Yeah, and we had to reassume the season at Fenway Park in Boston, and uh, I, I swear to God, when I die, I want my ashes put under the plate there. But anyway, that's another story. Uh, that particular series was picked up in Boston. Everybody was allowed to come in for $10. They had to open the... Uh, the ballpark there on Yawkey Way a couple of hours yeah, before, yeah, and yeah. it was like lemmings uh, swimming to the sea when the kids tried to get those great seats. But at any rate, I remember on a Sunday afternoon after that final game, and I've always been in awe of that red seat out there 502 feet away from home plate, people in line, and they couldn't get them out of the ballpark. It almost brought tears to my eyes as as they waited just to sit in that red seat. Now, I was talking to either Joe Gelati or... Yeah, or Peter Gammons or somebody like that. And mm-hmm. he said, you know, when Ted hit that home run off Freddie Hutchinson, there was no seat there. There were bleachers. Is that true? No, uh, th- th- I think it is true.
4: But they, they had the seats numbered because the only way I could tell anybody or they could authenticate the actuality of it all was that this guy was sitting up there with a straw hat and the ball, he reached up to the ball and the ball hit him in the hat and, and put a hole in you know, kind of crushed it. And the next day, his picture was in the paper, and they give the seat number and everything else, you know. So uh, Sullivan was there, and I told him about that ball, and I said, "All you got to do is check the papers; they'll tell you exactly where the ball was." So what we did this one day, it was just sitting there looking at the park. So he he pursued it, and he got exactly the spot. And uh, then they painted the seat red, and uh, but. Um, uh, that that was one of the that's certainly one of the best balls I hit. But everything was with me, and I got it in the air, and I hit it real good. And the wind was blowing out, and he just kept going. And <laughs> Freddie Hutchinson was so mad.
0: Ooh, <laughs> I'll bet he was mad. Yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable a that a man can hit the ball. Yeah, I park. know
4: he's a great guy.
0: Yeah, he he really was. Yeah. Okay, why did you pick uh, Junior for your first award, uh, your Hitter of the Year award? Well, we, were,
4: we just had to. Here's a young kid that I saw him in the All-Star game, the first All-Star game I ever saw him play in, and the first time up he hit a line drive, low line drive into left center, center, left center. And boy, was I impressed the way he hit that ball. And, uh, of course, he just started going from there. He just started to blossom all the way. And um, I'm really, really happy for him because his dad was one of the best-liked players, and I didn't even know him, but I knew he was well-liked. And when he said anything, he had a great smile. And uh, then this kid coming along, I can't think of anything that uh, is, is greater than to see your own kid excel in a sport that you played in. And uh, he certainly is excelling. And, and I I hear more people talk about his hitting. Although the other kid is hitting like hell, too, Bobby Bond. But they say more about Ken Griffey. Uh, Bond has got tremendous talent. But uh, Ken Griffey, gee, tough.
0: (laughs) I got on tape, and one of my favorite interviews was the one you did last year with Costas. I thought it was a classic. Oh, Costas? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and, uh, your reaction to what everybody has asked you, you've often been quoted as... uh, Wanting to be known as the best damn hitter who ever lived, and, and yeah. I thought your your answer was uh, really great. Uh, if you can, I, as you went through all your records, you said, "I don't know, but I know I was one of them." Right? Yeah. <laughs> uh,
4: I always said most of the time. I've always said that that, and I've kept real track of all the hitters because that was my great greatest interest in the game. And I've seen them, and I've looked at them, I've studied them, and I've talked to them, and I've asked them. And I want to tell you that. The, the, my, my final answer would have to be that, well, I, I can't say in my own mind, honestly, that I think I was the best hitter. But I said, if they'll put me in a group of Ruth and Gehrig and Simmons and Fox and DeMaggio and Greenberg and Heilman and Cobb, I said, that'll be good enough for me. <laughs> and uh, I think that uh, that's the way I really feel. Uh, all those guys, you know, uh, were the best, that's all.
0: <laughs> and you were probably the best of the best. Uh, no. Well, I
4: don't know about that at all, but I do know that I had a great I had a great time uh, 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 writing this book with Jim Prime, The uh, 20 Greatest Hitters. And I'll tell you, that's a tough assignment. I thought, hell, we'll name them off. You can name the first 10 or 12 pretty good, but now you got a group of about 20 in there that's tough. Mm-hmm. And you really got to uh, separate them a bit analytically as just with every aspect and the big thing about it is they got a formula now that 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 includes percentage of times on base and that is a very 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 big factor and of course the slugging percentage is a very 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 big
0: factor one of the uh, one of the great pieces of sports journalism, I think, is uh, John Updike's story about. Oh, there's last, no
4: question about it. Last at bat
0: about God don't answer curtain calls. I was just wondering, when you rounded the bases, your last at bat, you'd hit that home run. You went back to the clubhouse. What did you do then? What was going through your mind then?
4: Well, I I was uh, the the guys were all telling me to take a bow or do something, and I just couldn't do that. I pretty near thought about tipping my hat, but I didn't. I was emotionally, uh, you know, uplifted a little bit. And, um, but I never, I would never come close to doing it, but I thought about it. And, but when I went back to clubhouse, I mean, I went out to go out the next inning and then he sent somebody out behind me and I came in. But, um, um, you know, I'm pretty lucky to do that.
0: (laughs) Memorial Day is Monday. You served in uh, both World War II and Korea. You lost a lot of your baseball career, by the way, but maybe even a shot at the then record 714 home runs. But, uh. What what does Memorial Day mean to you about serving your country?
4: Well, uh, I I'm patriotic and I but I'm not uh, uh, oh I'm not Mickey Mouse about it where I'm gushy, but um, uh, I'm I look back now and I say, well I'm glad I had a chance to do that. Uh, it's an experience that you'd never want to think that you could have it happen and then after it's all over and you didn't really appreciate until it was all over that you were a lucky guy to get through all the everything that happens to a young player, everything that happens to anybody going goes to the service, uh, anything that happens through life, uh, especially during a war, too. I'll tell you, you got to be lucky.
0: Mm-hmm. When you entered the Hall of Fame, uh, the things you said, uh, one of the things you said, uh, was it was time that some of the great players from the Negro League should be in Cooperstown as well? That
4: was ingrained in my mind uh, way back in 1930, 31, 32, uh, 34. I I played in high school. His name was Leo Thompson. And he lived in the, the littlest... And simplest of a little house that I ever saw in San Diego in that area that I lived at, and he was a tremendous little athlete. He wasn't a very big guy, but he was a good athlete. Hell of a little ball player, good little football player, good little boxer. And I, I I've asked a hundred times when I've been back to San Diego about does anybody ever know what happened to Leo Thompson, and and I don't I don't uh, know whatever happened to him, but I've asked and. Uh, It'd be fun to kind of find out, but he must be an old guy now like I am. And so you never know. Maybe he wasn't a war. Or maybe he had a problem or something. But um, So I've always felt in my heart uh, uh, maybe a little more thoughtfulness in regarding uh, uh, people that uh, didn't have quite the chance that other people had. mm mm-hmm. And still, maybe that's one of the reasons I get even a little more bitter when I see riots right and that type of thing, and I get mad to think that uh, you know uh, that things like that happen. but that was a thing that I had ingrained in me a long long time.
0: Ted, uh, you won a couple of triple crowns in 42-47, yet neither time uh, did you win the MVP award. Last man, to hit 400. Oh, yeah. uh, what happened? Well, you
4: know, I, I don't know what happened. One time, uh, what was it, 40-2? Yeah. Well, Gordon had the best year he ever had in his life. Yankees won the pennant, and they used to put even more, more uh, strength on that when they voted for the most valuable player. And... Uh, and that's possible, certainly, to win the Most Valuable Player without winning the, uh, without winning uh, uh, the pennant. I mean, it's possible to be Most Valuable Player without winning the pennant. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, I felt that Gordon. I thought that Gordon, being the uh, the he was a hell of a player, should be in the Hall of Fame. Jeez. right. And uh, and of course, when I didn't get it. Uh, when I hit four hundred, the DeMaggio had one of the super great years in the history of the game. And he was truly a great, great, great ball player. Yeah. And, uh, and then the other time, I don't know the other time. Which one's the other time
0: you're talking about? 42 and other... 47. Huh? 1947.
4: 47.
0: Yeah. Did you win the Triple Crown in 47?
4: Uh, it's, uh, 42 and 47? Yeah. 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 Okay. But I, I don't even know who got it in 47. Who got it?
0: Joe DiMaggio.
4: DiMaggio. Yeah. Well <laughs> I never felt badly about his the the, the year he won the, the streak and the year that he won the most valuable player. I wouldn't argue against either one of those.
0: Okay. Now I want to get you, I wanna get your comments and you read the papers every day. You know what has happened to this game, you know what happened August the twelfth last year, you know the resentment that the fans have had, you know that uh, attendance is down twenty five percent, T V ratings are down, and they say it's a dying sport. Uh uh, how about your perspective on the game today and what can be done to rejuvenate it?
4: Well, I, I don't think it's a dying sport at all, and I tell you, uh, I can I can, I can, can feel, I, because I had the same feeling, I said, what the hell is going on? What do they want? What does management want? What do the players want? They have representation, and I still feel badly they couldn't get together on it a little better because... The, the the end result was that a lot of fans got turned off a little bit but this game is so great this game is so great that um, uh, it'll get it'll get going just the way it was I'll bet you and it, and it'll take a little bit of time because uh, they the, the present player uh, excites the fan to the point where he wants to go to the game the name that's being created that's a great player or an outstanding player or, or uh, a stimulation to a city and a, and a, and a uh, locality starts getting the fans worked up. And I think that guys like Bonds and guys like Griffey and guys like that big, I think that biggest hitting third baseman out there. Matt Williams? Huh?
0: Matt Williams with the
4: Giants? Oh, yes, sir. Boy, does he rack them. And uh, then you've got other guys. Gee, there's a lot of, I see more talent, honestly, honestly. I see more talent, I think, than I've ever seen in this game before. I mean, I see catches. Of gripe. I never saw catches like that. Even, you know, they go straight out in 10, 12 feet and catch one right off the grass. Yeah, that's
0: I true. I see
4: things I, like, I see speed. I see uh, bodies that uh, are super and talent that's super. And uh, it just shows you that this is a pretty, t- pretty hard game to play the way you'd really like to play it.
0: Who was the uh, who was the first manager that uh, used the uh, Williams shift on you, and uh, how did you react to it? How did you attack it?
4: Well, I was hitting just like gangbusters. Boy, I was hitting the ball all over the place. And it was against Cleveland, and I had just won the first game in the 11th inning with a home run. And I was hitting like gangbusters all year. And then when I came out in the second game, they had all kinds of graphs and all kinds of charts to where I hit the ball <laughs> and where I didn't hit the ball and who I hit it against and, and um, uh, he came out that second game was Boudreau, a great player and a great manager in my book, because uh, he handled the staff all year, and, and he won the most valuable player award. I think that's probably one of the most uh, complete years anybody in baseball ever had, because he not only managed, he kicked great, and he fielded great, and he just carried the whole thing And I don't think there's ever a player that had a more complete year than he did.
0: How many times in your career were you asked to bunt, or did you ever?
4: Oh, I never got the bunt sign.
0: Never. Never. (laughs) You never sacrificed? No, I never got no bunt signs.
4: No, I never got a bunt sign. Never did.
0: Oh, mercy. I never got a
4: steal sign. The only time I ever (laughs) tried to steal, and surprisingly, I think I stole about 35 bases, and, 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 um, I, I never stole, I never got a steal sign. But I, if I got hit with a ball or something, I'd be mad, you know. Then I'd try to do it. And uh, that's what I must have done, most of them, because I never stole any other time.
0: Would you have done anything differently?
4: I don't know what I could have done differently. I, they asked me, they asked me that the last day I played. And the only thing I said, and I know I was right when I said it, I'd have tried to get stronger. Now I'm taking I you know I broke my shoulder and I'm taking a lot of rehabilitation to try to get it going again. And I know that um, that exercise is all important and you can develop stronger shoulders and develop stronger arms and you can even help your speed with the right kind of training. And I uh, I never realized that so much because uh, until I've had to go through a thing and I did say the last day. I said if, if I did anything different, I'd try to get stronger. And I know that's right.
0: Uh, finally, would uh... say
4: now I would add one other thing. I'd say quickness uh-huh. is stronger because uh-huh. you're to you, till the last time you go to bat, you say I gotta be quick. I gotta and I gotta hang in here, you know, uh, which is. Uh,
0: is it true that your eyesight was so good you could literally see the seams on the baseball? oh, jeez, I want to vomit when I hear that.
4: Is that right? Probably some sports writer thought
0: that.
4: <laughs> yeah. Oh, mercy. I oh, Jesus, uh, <laughs> you can't see no seams on the ball. It looks a little reddish and but it's spinning and it's coming in there fast. Hell no, I must have been a frustrated sports rider that couldn't hit.
0: <laughs> and, and also, you know, you've heard this story, too. I, and huh? I, 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 you've heard this comment, too, and I've even used it on the air in talking about you, about when you were managing both Washington and Texas, that uh, you hated your own pitchers as much as any other pitcher. Is that true? <laughs> no.
4: <laughs> in fact, some of the best friends I've ever had uh, have... Uh, uh, we're we're pitching on that team, boy. Would, I'd like to see how good we could do today with that team we had, because it was a lot better team than anybody thought it was. Uh-huh. And we started to roll a little bit, and hell, we were playing the last week of the season, trying to beat the Red Sox out of position in the pennant race. Yeah, not for first place, but for one, two, three, uh, three, four, five.
0: My finally, my partner on television is uh, is Red is Ron Fairly. Uh, what kind of a hitter was Ron?
4: Ron was a a great-looking hitter. He uh, he reminded me, he wasn't that big, I didn't think. What is he, 5'10 and
3: 175?
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. not Five. now, but he used to be 175, yeah.
4: Yeah, okay. But he was a good-looking hitter, and I used, to, I used to look at him, and even though I didn't play very much against him, I looked at him, and all I could think about was O'Doul, lefty O'Doul. He was a stylish-looking hitter, and a damn good one.
0: Uh-huh. Well, I'll tell you. And, and finally, this, just for my own personal edification, I've got a lot of your memorabilia because you. My, my, if my daughter had been a son, she would have been a Ted Williams knee house. By the <laughs> way, uh, but but I have in my uh, game room in my den, and I'm sure there are thousands of them across America. That picture of you wrapped in the towel at Fenway Park with your with, with a bat in your hand. What year was that? Oh, it was.
4: Uh, I'm going to say. Uh, I'm going to say. Uh, oh, I I I would think that it would be in. In uh thirty nine or forty. Uh-huh. Maybe. Yeah, I'm wrapping the towel and Christ I got a bat holding in the locker room.
0: <laughs> That's right.
4: Yeah, and then they got another one of me holding a bat and the uh f- at the foot of a bed and now I'm gonna hit the, the
0: leg on the bed, you know. Jesus. <laughs> Christ. Well, I Ted, have a bat in my hand, an awful lot. One of these days, I'm going to get that to you and have you. Argue. But I'll, I'll, I'll have a chance to sit down with you. Hey, Ted, you don't know what a thrill this is, my oh, friend. Oh, thank you and very much. You're a good guy.